Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and welcome to IDSA's podcast series, COVID-19, What's Happening Now? This podcast aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be discussing the unique challenges presented by the pandemic for those leading teams in times of crisis. Here to cover that are Dr. Wendy Armstrong of Emory University and Constance Benson of University of California, San Diego. Moderating this podcast, which is being produced in partnership with IDSA's Leadership Institute, is IDSA Leadership Institute faculty member, Dr. Joshua Hartzell. Thank you, Nadia. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the author and do not reflect the official policy of the Department of Army. Navy, Air Force, Department of Defense, or U.S. government. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought with it an unprecedented time in medicine and changed the way we live as well. Many of us have been working at our institutions to respond to this pandemic, and we've seen uh, many changes. And I think all of us recognize that we're going to see many more, more in the future as we move forward. And we're fortunate today to be joined with two experts and leaders, uh, not only in the field of infectious diseases, but also at their institution. And we hope that uh, this podcast will provide some pearls of wisdom about how to lead effectively during this challenging time or other challenges that we might face in the future. So maybe we can start with uh, each of you giving just a one-liner about what your role has been so far during this pandemic. This is Wendy Armstrong. In addition to providing clinical care, my main role has been in my leadership positions. Um, and I have three main positions which have each provided unique challenges. I'm the program director for the fellowship and the vice chair of education for the Department of Medicine with um, uh, where I'm leading uh, doctors um, responding to this pandemic. But by far the most challenging role has been as medical director of a very large HIV clinic with about 200 employees, all with various varying medical backgrounds. And so that has been um, the greatest challenge for me. Great. And Dr. Benson? I have, uh, just like Dr. Armstrong, many responsibilities. Um, first, as I'm leading the institutions, institution's efforts to develop, set up, implement, and monitor clinical trials to evaluate antiviral and other adjunctive therapies or interventions for treatment and prevention of COVID-19 disease. I'm leading the task force to review therapeutic um, guidance for all of our teams in the hospitals. And I'm also leading the task force to review and stage all of the external requests for new clinical trials related to COVID-19 disease. And in each of these roles, I'm I, as the lead of um, Antiviral Research Center, which is the major infectious disease research unit at UCSD. I too have more than 70 employees and staff that I have to supervise and lead in all of these tasks. And lastly, I'm also the fellowship program director and am leading our fellowship trainee program um, and the challenges that are faced by many of our trainees in the context of their continued learning and education during a major pandemic has also been a challenge. So multiple responsibilities and lots of work. So obviously both of you have uh, multiple roles and, and lead multiple different teams with, with different priorities, which I think is uh, going to be very valuable for the listeners. Maybe we can start uh, with you, Dr. Benson. What, what has this moment taught you about leadership? You gave us some of these questions ahead of time, and this was one I had to reflect on a little bit more than some of the others. 
I wouldn't say it's taught me as much as reinforced some of the principles of what I believe are important to follow as a leader in any situation. And those principles include staying calm, being prepared, surrounding myself with other people who are competent or have skills and knowledge that I don't have, being honest and transparent in all of the interactions in which I engage, and not to be afraid to ask for advice, listen to other opinions, stay nimble and ready to adjust to changing circumstances and evolving situations, and always be willing to admit when a complex decision was wrong and be able to move on and do my best to make the correct decision the next time. That's, that's great. I hear a lot of uh, humility in that answer. And, and one thing that really stuck out to me actually was uh, staying calm. And I'm just curious, uh, in your role uh, as leading multiple teams, how do you help your teams uh, sort of maintain their calm? Well, that's also one of the major challenges I'm sure each of us face. But I think when they see you being calm, it reflects back on them, if you will. The perception that someone is there, is available, is leading them, helps to maintain their level of calm in a very difficult situation. I also check in with all of my employees, my staff, the people working in a clinical trials on a very regular basis, often multiple times a day, just to say, how are things going? What do you need? What's going on? Are there issues you need help with? And I think that knowing that my staff, knowing that there are other people there who are listening to them and are available to help also maintains some of their, um, reduces some of their level of anxiety and helps them maintain their calm. Dr. Armstrong, how about for you? What has this moment taught you about leadership? So I echo much of what Dr. Benson already said. Um, I guess the one of the things that I would add that, again, um, uh, like Dr. Benson, Benson mentioned, many of these are things that I already knew about leadership, but have had to take to a different level or really appreciate the value of some of these characteristics. And um, one that has been particularly important um, for me in this pandemic has been the importance of very frequent, very clear communication. Um, yeah, I, my staff at our clinic, uh, as I mentioned, has, you know, really, really different degrees of medical knowledge. Um, many have no real experience um, in medicine outside of, you know, working in a, a slightly medical environment. And, um, and you know, the unique piece of this pandemic, as opposed to sort of other times when I leave this group, has been um, what a an important factor fear is. And so um, uh, fear, I think, was um, initially just palpable in, in particularly that team. And it was magnified by the fact that we very early had back who contracted COVID. The, impo the importance of daily communication became very apparent. And doing that honestly, transparently, admitting what I, we did and didn't know, but communicating that our principal goal was the safety of our team was valuable and has become valuable. And we have continued to have extremely frequent communication throughout the entire course of this. You know, in addition, I think, again, many of the things Dr. Benson mentioned, in, you know, um, uh, uh, transparency, um, honesty, being humble, 
um, admitting what we do and don't know, checking in regularly with people. Um, those all hold as well. Yeah, I really appreciate the sort of the nod to admitting what we do and don't know, because it seems like every day we're, we're learning something new. I'm just curious if we could maybe go to a little more of the tactical level, because both of you mentioned communication and that it's being done frequently uh, every day. Could, could, could you potentially just uh, elaborate on how you're doing that? Is it in person? Is it via email? Is it via Zoom? What are some of the actual tactical steps you're doing to make sure everybody on your team gets the information? So it's been at different levels as the course of this has evolved. And um, like I mentioned, for the clinic staff, early on, we had uh, some individuals um, on the staff who uh, contracted COVID. And so at that point, it became really, really necessary to talk to everyone. But what was also very clear was that um, hierarchy being what it is, there are, were certain you know, individuals who had significant concerns that couldn't be voiced necessarily in larger groups with physicians or with nurses or with others um, that were perceived to have you know, a different knowledge base. And so actually within the first few, within the first week that this really impacted our clinic, a few members of my staff and I uh, called every single employee individually, talked to them about their worries and their concerns, and also did a symptom screen because we were um, trying to screen individuals to be sure that no one with early um, COVID infection came to work. And that really um, led to a lot of um, trust and, um, and uh, confidence, I think, uh, at the clinic level um, that made a huge difference. Since then, we've been communicating with emails and with weekly um, uh, system-wide calls, uh, Zoom calls and WebEx calls, um, which is similar to what I have done with the other teams, with our fellows and with our fellowship program directors as vice chair of education. And I think that's been a very helpful forum, which are uh, in smaller groups. Dr. Benson, anything to add to that? I think we've both employed very similar techniques and strategies for addressing some of the needs as listed by Dr. Armstrong. I think one of the things that I do is every morning when I get up or when I get into the office, I make a list of priorities and tasks that need to be accomplished at the beginning of each day. I have a, a daily meeting with key managers and staff via Zoom or in person if possible to review what the tasks that need to be done for the day are, what the needs are for accomplishing those things, to review action items, and just to seek and listen to advice or opinions about how to approach those problems. We make a list of tasks that we can delegate to others who can help. And just like Dr. Armstrong articulated, we contact one of us, contact staff who are working at home or from home uh, on a nearly daily basis, just again, to check in to see if they have issues they want to discuss that they don't feel like discussing in a full forum. We have a weekly um, Zoom call with all staff and I usually start that by giving them an overview of what's going on currently in our location what's going on in our own hospital in terms of COVID disease and what things we're working on this week for clinical trials and other new enterprises that are beginning or things that are ending. 
I reach out daily to people for assistance or guidance if there are things on my list that I'm not able to accomplish on my own. And I also, at the end of the day, write a note or an email summarizing key points or conclusions that were addressed during each of the discussions or interactions. Sometimes I don't send those anywhere. I just make a note to myself. But others are making a note to people I've talked to on the phone about things we agreed on. And I think that helps to keep us on track and keep things from getting lost in the shuffle. We're all, I'm sure Dr. Armstrong isn't as well. I'm on the phone now with Zoom calls or some kind of web meetings um, eight to 10 hours a day. And that can really allow things to get lost in the shuffle if you're not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah, maybe we can follow up on that. And I'm, I don't lose the irony that we're on Zoom currently uh, speaking as well. So we appreciate your, your time. Um, but, but with all the competing, competing demands and the priorities that you have, how do you, how do you navigate that with delegating certain tasks versus those that you keep for yourself? And then how do you make sure that you are um, completing them sort of in a, in a timely manner, given the speed at which we're dealing with many of these issues? I'll take a stab at it first and let uh, Dr. Armstrong uh, respond with her approaches. But um, this kind of goes along with your question about prioritizing everything in an emergency. So I'm a, I'm a great list maker. <laughs> Um, and it helps me in a lot of ways, but I, my first task is to de determine what really is an emergency and what can wait. And by that, I can go back to a lot of my earlier strategies. I make a list and I divide and conquer. And the first tier on my list is starting with what I can or must do immediately and then do whatever it takes to get it done. The second tier is moving on to other tasks that are immediate, but will take time to rally others or garner, garner additional input or resources. And I put those into motion, knowing that they may not get done immediately. And the third tier are tasks that I know will require more time and effort and others to help. And I start to break those down into components so that those things that can be done immediately, I move on to do them. And those that can't, I will circle back periodically throughout the day to review the status of each of those um, three tiers on my list. And sometimes that will require regrouping multiple, multiple times during a day to look at what has been accomplished, what I can take off the list, what needs to be reprioritized, and who hasn't been able to follow through, and then I can follow up with them. It is a daunting task when everything seems to be an emergency, but if you break it down into its components, there are a lot of things that are quite doable and you can easily delegate to others around you who have the requ requisite knowledge and expertise to, to finish things that I may not be able to do myself. Yeah, I think that's some really practical advice there. I like the tiered system that you use. Uh, Dr. Armstrong, uh, thoughts on that? Another principle that I have followed in addition to sort of um, expediency and so on is uh, I'm, I'm one of those people who believes that if you take care of your team, then you get the best effort out of them when they take care of patients. And so, um, you know, for, for me, again, um, caring for physicians on a team who are uh, caring for patients or caring for clinic staff who are caring for patients, 
I think that often, um, and, and certainly we all agree that patient care comes first, but I think when you're managing those teams, you have to think about team safety and then the you know, mental health and well-being of your team, and then you get the best efforts out of people. So I think as I've been prioritizing um, uh, things uh, during the course of this, the first things are making sure that the, 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 the people who are um, uh, working in the clinic or working in the hospital feel safe and have had adequate decompression time for their mental health. And I'll say that when my team members sense that approach, I think it's really uh, incredibly beneficial. And, uh, and I have been blown away, honestly, by how much these groups have risen to this occasion, which sort of leads to um, uh, sort of two other things. One is, while I, I, I think that it, it has been important to be sure that everyone has an opportunity to feel that they're contributing to this effort. So many people are now working from home or when they're not doing patient care, they may um, be less busy than usual. And some of that I think is recharging time. But I also think that finding ways that that person can contribute, I have overwhelmingly heard people concerned about feeling guilty that they're not doing enough. And so everyone wants to help right now um, in a way that feels comfortable. The other thing though that is critically important, while delegating tasks is necessary and something that's coming this fast and this hard, it is um, really important as a leader to be present. Nowhere is that more clear than either in the hospital or in the clinic. If we're asking people to be in a setting that may have increased risk, being present yourself is important. In addition, being present in other people's lives, so that's back to the communication, being sure that everyone is aware that you are thinking of them, that you're keeping tabs on them, and that you know what's going on. So those are, I guess, um, other things that I prioritize adding to the approach that Dr. Benson outlined. We have a, uh, a phrase that we often use it in my day job, which is um, people first, mission always. And if you, you know, like you said, if you take care of that team, then the team will take care of the, the mission. So I really appreciate that. One thing really resonated with me and in, in that Dr. Armstrong said is the issue about people who may be less busy because of the circumstances feeling guilty about not contributing. And I think that is something that has particularly resonated with our fellows and in our fellowship program. And so one of the things that has been enabled me to do leading all of the clinical trials efforts for our, our institution is has been able to get all of our fellows involved they're not in the clinic or not in the hospital doing work to being involved in helping to set up and implement clinical trials, doing some of the administrative and data management and development tasks that need to be done to get clinical trials up and going and helping them to understand some of the fiscal and regulatory and uh, administrative and monitoring tasks that need to be done in the context of a rapidly implemented clinical trial. And it does keep them feeling engaged because without the clinical trials that are helping us to understand what antiviral agents will work and which ones won't, what um, immunotherapies might be useful in the adjunctive treatment for COVID disease and the whole um, landscape of vaccine development and vaccine clinical trials. So they've gotten some educational benefit out of it, but they've also been able to contribute to the research that's critically necessary for us to work our way out of this pandemic. And so it's a way for them to feel 
engaged and involved when even when they're not directly involved in patient care in the hospital. Yeah, thank you for that. I think everyone wants to be part of the the, the solution and really contributing to the to the cause. And I was actually going to ask a question: um, how you were balancing sort of the educational mission mission with the patient care mission. So I'll either uh, allow you, Dr. Benson, to, to sort of add on to what you just said, or if Dr. Armstrong, you want to add on to something that Dr. Benson said about sort of the educational mission along with the patient care mission and research missions. Yeah, I think what I've already made the point about getting all of the fellows involved in some way in, in contributing to the research related to COVID disease. But the other part of our educational mission has not stopped. We are continuing to do our didactic work with all of our fellows. We're continuing to engage them in their research activities and we check in with them on a regular basis. So we have converted all of our educational conferences, our case conferences and all of our educational activities to online or video uh, conferencing but I, I will say I've been pleasantly, what's, I won't say the word shocked, but <laughs> when by converting all of our uh, educational conferences to online and webcast conferences, and then also focusing on issues related to the research and knowledge being developed around COVID disease, we've gone from our case conferences weekly to having maybe 10 to 12 faculty members and um, three quarters of the fellows attending each week to having 120 to 150 people on our conference calls, all of whom are actively engaged in the chat room, asking questions, providing input. And it's been an eye-opening experience to actually see the full balance of all of our faculty and fellows, fellows and trainees and residents on our services contributing to our conference in ways that that perhaps they hadn't being busy in person in the hospitals before. And so that's been a pleasant surprise and certainly contributed to keeping the educational programs going. But it, the other thing that Dr. Armstrong mentioned is our our internal medicine program director has had weekly uh, calls with all of the subspecialty program directors trying to troubleshoot things that are happening with the educational and training missions of our fellowship programs and providing resources and assistance where necessary for programs that may not have those resources on their own. And that's been a huge help. And the, the other thing that we've been starting to discuss, which I think will also be a huge help, is how we're going to engage in both orienting new house staff and new fellows into the programs come July 1, and also how we're going to enter, enter the whole recruitment phase of next academic year's um, fellowship programs, and working through those problems through a joint effort with ideas and input from a lot of other program directors has been extremely helpful. Dr. Armstrong, anything to add to that? That's actually um, pretty complete and pretty similar to my own experience, including the you know phenomenally increased attendance at uh, Zoom um, didactic sessions and case of the week sessions for our fellowship program. We have similarly continued um, all of our usual educational activities with the exception 
of Journal Club, which was a small intimate gathering, we didn't feel lent itself as well to Zoom, but I think that's been well replaced by um, our fellows, again, taking on doing a virtual journal club and uh, working with faculty, residents, and medical students, creating infographics of new COVID data that have been disseminated. So I, I think it's been a really unique time to look at how we can use our educational programs to help disseminate information to many people across uh, the system and even in some cases across the country. I think the really interesting challenge will be educationally is what have we learned from this and what do we keep and move forward and continue to do and what do we return to our previous practices and, and what do we adapt and do differently. I also think that using this, um, I have to get on my high horse about this for infectious disease education, using COVID as a hook in um, undergraduate medical education to inter and resident education to interest people in the field of infectious disease, where you can see the impact of bench to bedside immediately, of uh, ethics and um, so many, epidemiology, public health, so many different manifestations of healthcare has to be a, um, a, a, a jewel for us in thinking about uh, recruiting people into infectious disease. And I would I'd also just echo your point about what, what do we keep that we've learned uh, versus what, what do we go back to? Because I think this, this has really revolutionized some of the ways which we deliver education, which I think is going to really benefit fit us in the future. Let me just ask, with all these different priorities, all these tasks going on, how do you know, how do you get feedback that you're on target, that you're actually getting things done in a way that, that you need to? For me, it has really been speaking directly to my quote-unquote constituents or, you know, the fellows or the staff and so on, in addition to making sure, obviously, that operations are continuing. I've had, you know, a, a number of really gratifying experiences that have made me feel that we're on the right track. One recent example was another staff member of mine who um, had a, a very COVID-like illness, although um, we weren't certain who came back to work at the end of that. And her daughter um, said, you should not go back to work, mom. You absolutely shouldn't. What if you know you get sick again? And she said, I feel very safe in the clinic. They've done everything to make us safe. And I'll tell you that you know, um, was the most wonderful response that I uh, had heard. But again, seeing our fellows enthusiastically working um, together, um, seeing our staff taking care of patients, um, to me, that's the best feedback that there is, um, that we haven't had people stay home, we haven't shut down, and we've continued to provide high-quality care. And Dr. Benson, thoughts on that? Being engaged in all of the clinical trials is a very objective and tangible way of looking at what's been accomplished and what hasn't. We keep, we have uh, daily team calls, and we have an ongoing uh, shared drive where we know how many people have been recruited, what's the status of those people who are engaged in clinical trials, how are they doing, whether they're experiencing any adverse effects of the interventions that we're using, and ongoing feedback like that in a regular way is one objective way to measure whether things are being accomplished. The less tangible issues are more difficult to measure, but one of the things that I've put into place for the people working at home is they're keeping a, they're keeping a, I, I guess for lack of a better term, sort of an Excel spreadsheet of how many patient calls they're involved in during the day, 
what, since a lot of our, our outpatient clinical trials are being monitored by video visits, how many video calls or video visits they've had with study participants, what things they've engaged with those participants about, and those get reviewed on a regular basis by all of our study coordinators and then by myself on our team, uh, our daily team check-ins. So I have an objective measure of what people are doing at home rather than just they're out there somewhere in the video world with none of us really keeping track of what's happening. And we also have objective measures in the context of the outpatient clinical trials because we have data that are coming into the study records that have to be entered into the databases. So those are our objective ways. But the other things that I'm I think we've already talked about a little bit is checking in on a regular basis every day or every week with tasks that are ongoing or outcomes that we know need to be measured. We have emails, we have in-person meetings for those people who do come into the unit or video meetings when they're not available. And one of the things Dr. Armstrong, one of the points she made earlier on continues to be important in the research unit as well is being there, being available. And I've been probably the only person coming into the research unit every day that has made me available to everyone in a way that I can observe and monitor and regularly check in on progress made obstacles encountered and reassess things that have been completed adequately and not, and been able to use that as an avenue to regroup on a daily basis. Right. And I suspect that sometimes those objective measures that you mentioned are also important to people above us who may be asking specifically what people are doing and how many appointments are being done and how the research is going. I know we've, uh, we've covered a lot in a relatively short period of time, but I want to finish with just uh, one last question um, because you guys obviously have been, been dealing with a lot. It's a stressful time. And one of the things sometimes we, we forget about is, as leaders is how do we take care of ourselves? So I'm just curious for both of you um, as, as leaders, what, what have you done during this time to sort of take care of yourself so that you're able to continue to lead the teams that you do? And we can start with uh, Dr. Armstrong. That's a really good question because um, one thing that was less expected for me is because Zoom and video conferencing created the ability to um, work from home, it actually meant that time dilated. And, you know, there were Zoom calls scheduled all night long. I think most of us are on Zoom seven, eight, nine hours a day, but you could be on all, all, all day. The natural breaks between work and home sort of disappeared. I, after a few weeks of that, realized that it is really important to schedule COVID-free time and especially, you know, supporting my kids who could, I think, sense my stress and were getting stressed themselves. And that, that really brought it home to me. And so uh, that is one of the things that I do is schedule COVID-free time. I am commuting a little bit less because I do spend some days working from home and then some days uh, in at the clinic or in the hospital. 
And that has actually given me potentially some unexpected hours during the day. And so I've tried to take advantage of that and, and be very intentional about it. I love the uh, COVID free time. Uh, <laughs> I feel like many of us could probably benefit from that. Dr. Benson, uh, your, your th- approach to sort of personal wellness during this period? I do many of the same things that Dr. Armstrong has talked about. Staying in touch with family and friends is critical to having some stress-free time to engage with other people. I, I don't know that I call it COVID-free because it often entails asking and answering questions about COVID <laughs> disease, but on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evenings, I schedule a Zoom call with all of our, our friends and family. So Sunday is family time. So all of my kids and my grandchildren We all get together on a Zoom call at the same time and have dinner together on Sundays. And on uh, Friday and Saturday evenings, I have dinner with friends or a cocktail hour with friends via Zoom. And we all break out whatever our favorite wine is and have an in-person Zoom call to talk about the events of the week or just socially engage with people that I normally would have gone out with on a weekend, but am not able to do so. And then the the last thing I'll say is um, I'm a major photography buff, very amateur, but one of the things that I find sort of keeps me centered is every day, each week I have a theme for Instagram and I post one of my photos that I kind of search through my photo files to find related to that theme with a little catchphrase about it, which does two things for me. It helps me engage with my friends who are on social media, but it also helps me kind of go through my photography, remember and reminisce about places that I've been or people that I've been with and things that I've done. And it helps keep me centered in looking for um, an interesting photo or topic to um, post that helps keep me centered a little bit. And then occasionally I have an all alone freak out in my room or my office where nobody else is around and can't see me freaking out. And that helps a little bit too. I really appreciate the uh, the variety of the uh, responses there. How you're staying connected with others uh, throughout throughout this period, both with family and, and colleagues. And, and I like the picture idea uh, to kind of remind us of what else we've uh, been involved with. Uh, before we end, uh, would either of you um, have anything else that you feel like we should add that we haven't covered? The one thing I will add, and Dr. Armstrong is a good example of this, is how uh, people in our subspecialty um, across the world, across the nation, have stepped up in ways that I were imaginable, but not totally obvious. And I think being able to count on my colleagues to find new information or to communicate new information that I'm not sometimes able to keep up with has really been a wonderful thing to see. I think it's also an example that will help us in recruiting new people to our subspecialty, which has been challenging over the years for a lot of different reasons. But I think we have one of the most important subspecialties on the planet, and I'm a major advocate for it. And I think we've been able to display 
uh, the unique character of, and thoughtful nature of pe people in our subspecialty and how willing and available they've been to further the research enterprise, to add to our education, to add to our knowledge and to contribute um, publicly and globally in a way that many other subspecialties don't often have the opportunity to do. That's a yeah. really phenomenal way to uh, close this out, I have to say, and boy, do I agree that infectious disease community um, is a really, really special one. And I have spoken many times to my friends across the country um, as we have navigated um, uh, many of these challenges. And to have that support is really very special. And so I think those were really, really wonderful words. We're very, very lucky to have uh, such wonderful professionals uh, in the ID community who have done a tremendous amount and continue to do a tremendous amount during this uh, pandemic. I just want to thank both of you uh, for your leadership and for your wisdom. I think it's going to be valuable to the listeners. Hopefully uh, people will be able to uh, take, take advantage of this. And with that, I'm going to close and send it back to Nadia. At this time, we'd like to thank our knowledgeable panel, Drs. Wendy Armstrong and Constance Benson. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. I'm Nadia Singh.